Okay, welcome everyone. Um, could you put a hand up if uh, I think everyone's got a seat. There are some seats down the front here if anyone wants to make your way forward, uh, make yourselves at home, make yourselves comfortable. And uh, we're due to start at five past. We've given five minutes extra, weren't we? So I think we can make a start pretty well now. So just to make sure you've all come to the right seminar, this is training children to engage in the wonder uh, of worship at home and church. So you've all got the right seminar, correct? That's good. Quick show of hands. Put your hands up if you are currently a parent with children. Okay, wow, that's pretty overwhelming. Very good. Um, you, any youth leaders here who are, who are here as youth leaders as well as parents or instead of in, just as a youth leader? Okay, any elders here? What elders, wives, and so on, great, okay. Brilliant, anyone here just because you're nosy, you know? Anyone here, because you're, okay, good, there's a few here. Anyone planning ahead for the future when you start a family? Good on you if you did, well done, well done, excellent, okay. Um, so, welcome. I'd like to just introduce you to uh, the team. So, um, a bit later on, I'm going to ask Janice, who would like to wave, to share. She's from the Vine Church in Odium and Fleet. Uh, she's a great children's leader for us at our church, the Vine. We then we've got Hayley Gubb, who is at Farnham, and uh, lots of Farnham, lots of groupies here to support you, Hayley. Uh, so, she's at Jubilee Church Farnham, and um, uh, very involved heavily with, and as a parent, also in terms of children's work there. I'd also like to introduce to you Becca Shaw. Can you give Becca a round of applause? Could you come forward, please, Becca? Okay, so last year at West Point, my kids came back from uh, West Point Youth raving about this new song that they were singing called You Delight in Me that was apparently written by a girl at, from Ascot Life Church at West Point, and it was done at West Point, and they all loved it. And so I managed to track her down, and here she is. And she is now involved with the youth, leading worship and so on here at West Point Youth. Is that right? Um, do you want to just tell us a couple of things about yourself? I'm hoping, I don't know if there's a sound person, but otherwise I'll just hand this to you, actually. I don't think that's working. Um, so tell us a couple of things, Becca, because I thought it would be good for us to hear from someone who has been through it from the other side of the story, apart from us as parents. And so... Why don't you tell us a little bit about what are you doing at the moment? What are you about to do? Yeah, so I've just finished school. I'm going to be studying music in Southampton in September. And yeah, I'm leading worship with the youth this week. That's fantastic. Would you like to tell us, Becca, a little bit about your experience growing up uh, in terms of church, in terms of especially parents? What impact did they have as you were growing up as a child? Yeah, sure. So um, my mum works in the church, and so I was going with her from before I was born. <laughs> and um, it was always a really big part of our week. The three of us would always go together, um, and we would always pray all together in the morning, in the evening, chat about church. It was always a massive part of what we did throughout day-to-day -day life. That's fantastic, and it was obviously a really authentic thing for you. And your dad, he had a different approach to your mum in terms of the stuff that he did with you, would you say? So my dad loves being outdoors, loves running, cycling. He's also very creative, whereas my mum 
does other things. So me and Dad would go on walks and we would look at all the insects and go and see what fun plants we could find. And just kind of that thinking about it now made me realise like how beautiful creation is. And maybe at the time that wasn't what was going through my head, but now like looking back, I see that that was really instrumental in seeing God's creation. That's excellent. And then you started going to Ascot Life Church as a teenager. And what sort of impact did that have on you, would you say? So at my previous church, I was the only youth and I would go out every Sunday and help with the little kids. And that was great fun, but I felt like I was kind of stuck where I was. I wasn't growing myself. And then I ended up at Life Church with, because someone I was speaking to in a DT class at school went. And um, I ended up there with a group of youth and really encouraging adults of all ages, students right up, and young kids as well that you can learn so much from. And it was so nice having such a range of ages all encouraging each other. That's awesome. And one more question then, Becca. What, what top tip would you give to maybe church people, church leaders, youth leaders, in terms of encouraging and providing the right kind of culture for teenagers' children to prosper and grow in uh, worship and uh, involvement in church life? Yeah, so um, it can be quite scary to go and say, oh, I'd really love to serve on kids, or I play an instrument, can I join a band? Especially when you're young, because it's hard to get out of the mentality of, oh, you're too young to do that. At the moment, you've got to wait till you're older. So just giving the platform for children and young people to have the opportunity to do that, maybe ask them, or just make it obvious that they're allowed to do that and they can use their gifts to serve the church and to serve God. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much, Becca. Let's give her a round of applause. So at the end of the seminar today, Becca's going to come up and she's going to sing her song to us, You Delight in Me, uh, which will be great. And uh, we'll then have an opportunity to uh, just minister to you guys. If anyone would like prayer while she's singing that song, we can pray. We can just look for faith uh, for uh, God, uh, for us in our situations. Um, So I suppose I should also tell you who I am. So I'm Andy LaRue. My wife, Kate, as well. Give everyone a wave, Kate. Kate's going to just chip in a bit later on as well. Um, But, uh, yeah, we've got uh, a family. We've got a 13-year-old daughter, so she's just perfected the art of rolling her eyes. Um, And uh, we've got a 16-year-old son who is six foot two, and the other day picked me up on his shoulders and carried me around, and I'm kicking and saying, Zachary, let me down! And it's very difficult looking up and trying to tell him off. Uh, And then I've got an 18-year-old son. Uh, We had his birthday uh, when he became an adult, and we had this little uh, meal together, and we were kind of like, wow, you know, well done, Kate. I said, well done to my wife. We've actually, he's got all his limbs. He's still alive. We didn't manage to kill him, so we've we've succeeded in raising him. He can drive a car. He's passed his A-levels. He's worshipping God. You know, he's about to go... He's three weeks time. For three weeks now, he's going. To, he's going to leave home, and it's like I can still remember, you know, this screaming child in the hospital ward with sparkling eyes in my arms. And I, I'm telling you, it's just 18 short years. It is such a precious privilege to have that time to be the person who is going to influence your child, whether you're a parent, whether you're a youth leader, whether you're an elder whether you're a significant other with, to that person, to have that influence is an incredible entrustment from God that we have been given. And today we want to look at this. How can we train 
our children and young people to engage in a meaningful relationship with God from an early age, both at home and in church life? Uh, and uh, how can we overcome barriers that would prevent them and discourage them from full participation? Ultimately, we want it to be that they get to that point where it's not because you said it, mum and dad, but because I now see it and believe it. Well, we've just been set up amazingly by that talk, haven't we, by Tim, which is incredible. We might as well all go home, but he set us up brilliantly to see that, yeah, we want this next generation to become intimate followers of Jesus Christ, wholeheartedly following him for themselves. And our goal is surely not just that by the time they become adults, we can say as parents, phew, they didn't turn away from God. You know, that's the result. I'm so relieved. I'm not embarrassed as a parent because I, I don't have to look at other people in the church. My child turned away from God. Surely that's not just the goal that we want. We want much more for them than that, don't we? We want them to fulfill their God-given potential, to become world changers, to become a part of the, what God is going to do in the world over these next decades to usher in revival, to, uh, to, to speed up the Lord's return, to play their part in society, to plant churches. We don't want this, this whole thing to be a one-generation wonder, do we? So we want to be ambitious for our children, but it's God who is doing the work, and uh, we're partners in that mission with him. And I do want to take the pressure off because it would be so easy for us today to come up with all sorts of great ideas of how to do it, and we'll be bubbling with enthusiasm today. And some of you might be sitting there and hurting and thinking, well, this isn't how it feels for me right now. This is tough. It's not like that. And we fully understand that. And we want to know, you know, we want you to understand the grace of God means that we can trust God with our children. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're going to have a look at that in a minute. So please don't go away from here feeling condemned in any way. We want to encourage you. We've had our ups and downs, that's for sure, with our kids. And we will continue to do so. But let me just give you a little bit of uh, shocking news from some statistics that have been uh, uh, researched uh, uh, over the last few years. In 2014, a YouGov survey uh, commissioned by the Bible Society in which they surveyed 6,000 adults and 800 children found that 30% of Christian parents say that they never read Bible stories to their children. 30%. And a third of children did not identify the nativity as a story from the Bible, 36%, the Good Samaritan, and so on. There was a survey uh, conducted by the Anglican Church surveying active church-going Anglicans, and they asked parents, what are the most especially important qualities that children should be taught at home? And 94% of parents said that they thought teaching good manners was a really important thing to impart to your children at home. And I'm sure probably we'd all agree with that, 94%. But only 36% listed religious faith as an imp especially important quality that they would, should impart to their children at home. Now, I know you can cut statistics different ways, but that's pretty shocking, isn't it? Unless we feel a bit smug and think, well, you know what, uh, that's, just, that's just the Anglicans, right? There's some wonderful, spirit-filled Anglicans, I know. Uh, but actually, you know what? It's true. The, the think tank, Theos, 
commissioned a survey uh, in which uh, Comres uh, surveyed over a thousand British parents and children, and they found that 28% of church attending Christian parents did not mind whether their children shared their beliefs. And, and actually, some parents surveyed even said, you know what, I kind of think it might be wrong for me to try and brainwash or indoctrinate my children. I kind of feel that maybe I shouldn't do that because would that be kind of wrong because I'm forcing something on them? Listen, they're going to have so many other influences and so many other voices into their life. What are you talking about? Of course we should be imparting this gospel that we've been entrusted with to them. Uh, but uh, there, there are many people who feel lacking confidence. I think if I were to survey you today, you would probably say right now, yeah, of course you want to rate, train your children. Of course you want to impart faith to your children. I would suspect that for most of you, many of you though, if I surveyed you, you would say, I feel sometimes lacking resources, lacking confidence, lacking good ideas. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Sometimes my child is just difficult. There's struggles for time. There's struggles for energy. I mean, you know, we all have amnesia when we get a little bit older with our kids and forget how tiring it is when they're just little. You have no time for God yourself, let alone, you know, trying to uh, do that with the children and so on. And so confidence can be a really big issue. So why are parents slow in sharing their faith and tardy in doing that. And there are probably two reasons. The first is, if you like, apathy or indifference or just sheer laziness. I was speaking to a head teacher recently who was telling me that she gets so frustrated with some parents who basically leave their children to kind of raise themselves uh, because, you know, mom is just, she's, a, she's just so, she's just spending all her time on social media She's just thinking about her own image and so on and doesn't spend any time with the kids. The kids are left to run feral and be raised by society. And it can just be laziness. You know, it's so much easier to turn the TV on, isn't it? To have like a TV dinner. Um, and TV dinners are good fun sometimes. But if that becomes the default, something has gone wrong. It can be so much easier just to leave our child to listen to something on the phone when they go to bed rather than us sitting down with them and having that special time and that Bible story with them and being intentional with them. And so we've got to put our hands up and say it takes effort, doesn't it? And sometimes it is kind of just laziness or tiredness that can stop us. But the second reason, and probably the biggest reason, is this, that we can lack confidence. We can feel that maybe we don't have enough Bible knowledge. Maybe they'll ask us tricky questions. We recently had a guy come for dinner at our house. Uh, he's got a Christian background, but he's not really following God. But he came for dinner. He's a South African cricket coach. We shouldn't talk about cricket today, but he was with us for dinner and he, he sat down and he started, he knew that we were Christians. And so he kind of, with all my family there, he said, you know, wh what do you guys think about lying? Is lying okay? Um, so we had a discussion about that. And then, what do you think about capital punishment? What, what do you think about that? And then it's, what do you think about same-sex marriage and stuff? This is all over dinner, you know. And then it's like, right, pudding time. What, what do you think about sex outside of marriage? And, you know, my kids are there and we're trying to answer all these really tricky questions. And there's some really tricky issues, aren't there? And we can feel that we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the understanding, we can lack the confidence. 
there was this, I mentioned uh, this think tank, Theos, that published a major study just in the last couple of years, which I'll refer to a few times. It's called Passing on Faith. And it's an academic study of the role of parents in the transmission of faith to the next generation. And what they found was that many, many parents feel powerless in the face of other cultural influences and messages. They're convinced that technology and social media will have a greater impact on the beliefs of the children than they will. They feel like they've lost the battle, their kids won't listen, there's no point trying because they've got all those other voices that are so loud and so strong, and so they kind of want to just give up because they don't know how to, to prevail in that environment. And yet, this is the striking irony, that same study... They looked at 54 uh, sociological studies over the last four decades, and even the recent ones, they found this. Studies clearly show that the opposite is actually true. Parents and significant other adults remain the single biggest influence on their children's faith. Parents are still incomparably important when it comes to passing on faith to their children. Parents and family remain pivotal in the spiritual outcomes of their children. We should draw confidence from the fact the evidence strongly affirms that our continued role and influence is massive. And actually, despite the pressures, despite the cultural changes... Despite appearances, despite the fact that your kids look like they're not interested and they're switched off and they're on their phone, actually they're looking at you, they're watching you, they're following you, they are looking to you to be that influence in their life. I I kind of like to do something that we shouldn't really do with the Bible, which is to take a Bible verse and turn it upside down, all right? So Paul said to Timothy, you all know the verse, don't you? Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. And I'd like to suggest that actually today we don't look down on young people. We tend in our society to look down on older people, don't we? We kind of despise older people. Youthfulness is kind of an idol and uh, we don't really look down uh, so much on young people. So I would like to turn that verse on its head and say to you today, parents, youth leaders, elders, don't let young people look down on you because of your age. (laughs) Yet don't be intimidated by them because they are looking to you. You know, Kate and I have this privilege of hosting a youth group in our house every Sunday night. It's for sort of teenagers, it's a discipleship type group. We have about 14 or 15 teenagers piling around our house every Sunday night. And, it, and we love that time with them. It's a fantastic, we have such a blast. And you know what, despite kind of all the jokes and everything, I think they kind of do like us, all right? <laughs> and they do, they like you. Really, it's true, you know, you can believe it. And they want to learn from you. I've got a quote here that says this, for better or for worse, most parents, in fact, still profoundly influence their children, often more than do their peers. Their children's apparent resistance and lack of appreciation notwithstanding. Simply by living 
and interacting with their children, most parents establish expectations, define normalcy, model life practices, set boundaries, and make demands, all of which cannot help but influence children for good or for ill. And so I want you today to go away from this uh, seminar with a renewed confidence, with a renewed sense of commissioning from God, whether you're a youth leader, an elder, a parent, whoever you are, whether your child is tiny or tall, God has called you and equipped you to train your children in the wonder of worshipping Jesus. Research has found that there are four key factors that increase the chances of children choosing to follow their parents' faith. And these four key factors are as follows. Number one, children feel close to their parents and grow up in a warm family. Two, children see that their parents have a developing, authentic but not perfect faith themselves. I mean, who needs a perfect parent? That would be unbearable. Imagine if you were a child and your parent was perfect. What they need is an authentic parent, a parent who's prepared to say sorry, a parent who's prepared to be honest about their struggles, but actually a parent who is, has a developing and authentic faith for themselves. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Point number three, parents who seek to develop and nurture their children's faith. That's the third key thing. And the fourth key thing, and this is incredibly important, is that children receive positive, multi-generational inputs from the wider family and church. That's such a big one, isn't it? It takes a village to raise a child, and our communities and our church communities can be a key place. As we heard from Becca, her faith came alive as she moved into a church where there was all sorts of stuff going on and suddenly she's just moving into a whole new dimension because that church community was something where she could thrive. And as Tim said, I want to just say this, it's not just the youth and children's leaders who are serving us at West Point that deserve a huge shout out. I mean, that's hard work and thank you to them. But actually, I would probably say that it's harder work being a children's worker, a youth worker, week in and week out, 52 weeks of the year, hopefully you're not on every week, but doing that work is massive. And, you know, you are the unsung heroes amongst us. That It takes effort. I see it. I see people see my wife when she's preparing and all this sort of thinking and energy that goes into that. I see Janice. I know all the hard work. And, and yet, actually, you are such an influence and such a significant person in their lives. Thank you and well done. But I want to encourage elders and wives to play a part in this as well. You know that the Bible tells us that elders are to be shepherds of the flock, and that includes children, the children who are in the flock. Elders, get involved, get down to their level, find out their names, make sure you know them. Why don't you have them around? Why don't you engage with them? They're also part of the flock. Also play your part, and you do, I'm sure, and that's a really important thing. You know, grandparents and aunties and uncles, we had a woman in our church called Elsie Brown, She's an old lady. She'd never had any children herself. 
And uh, she was just a mother in the Lord to so many people in the church. She'd have families round for meals. She would have such an influence. In fact, when we had our, our daughter, we called her Elsie after Elsie Brown. Uh, and uh, she was very diffident about it when we told her, you know, we'd like to name our child after you because you've not had any children. We just want to honor you for your role in the church. This is a grandma in the church. Uh, and she was like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. But we did. So we called her Elsie uh, in honor of her. And I can remember Elsie Brown having my daughter on her knee, you know, as a baby. And then it was a few months later that she passed away. But she passed on a legacy herself to the next generation. So this seminar then is about training our children. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says this, train a child in the way that he should go and he will not depart from it. That word training is used there. Just a side note at this point to say, you know, it says there, if you train a child in the way they'll go, they'll not depart from it. And you can think, right, that's a cast iron guarantee. My child will never put a foot wrong. If I do everything right, my child will not depart from it. That's not how Proverbs works, okay? It's not kind of some kind of super spiritual promise that you'll never have issues with your children, Actually, it's so important for us not to just take snapshots of how our children are doing right now. Because if we did that, it could lead to two opposite dangers. The first is complacency. You know, we could say to ourselves, my child this week is doing brilliantly. You know, West Point has set them up for the year. They've had a massive injection of faith, job done, I don't need to do anything now over the next 12 months. They're doing brilliantly. Uh, but actually, we could be complacent, but it's a long haul. It's a consistent thing, isn't it? Uh, and the other danger, though, is condemnation. My child is not doing very well, so I have failed. But parenting is a marathon and not a sprint. You know, God has trouble with his children, so we can take heart as well. We need to understand that every child is unique, that God works differently in different seasons, in different ways with our kids, and we need to be patient. Sometimes we need to have a bit of a sense of humor. Sometimes we need to have a bit of a light touch with our kids. Sometimes we need to just pray and wait. And not, I, I'm not going to tell you from this seminar to go home now and just be all over your kids like a rash. You know, because, right, I've learned lots of things. I'm now going to be in their face. All right, that doesn't always help, okay? Um, and so we, might, we don't want to be complacent, but we don't want to uh, feel condemned either. But we do want to train our children. Train your children. And that's what the Apostle Paul said, didn't he, to those in Ephesus who he wrote to in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Paul said, fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Right now, dads, we know how to do that, don't we? We're very good at that. We're good at, we know how to wind our children up. That's our job, isn't it? But no, we're told not to exasperate our children. But it says instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Dads, set the tone in the home. Play your part, but it's a partnership. It's for husbands and wives to work together 
to train our children to bring them up in the training instruction of the Lord. So the question is, what is training? What is training? Just think for a minute. Maybe, maybe just turn to the person next to you. Tell them in a line, what, why does the word training get used here? What, what's different from tr- between training and other forms of teaching? Okay? What is training? Have a quick think for a second. Just turn to someone and tell them what you reckon. You've got 30 seconds. All right. All right, I know that was, that was quick, but one of the things that I learned about training, who's heard of Maslow's four stages of competence? Have you, any of you heard of that? Maslow's four stages of competence, okay? What this says is this, that you go, when you're trying to learn a new skill, you go through four stages. You go from unskilled and unaware that you're unskilled. Then, the next stage is unskilled and aware that you're unskilled. That's the painful bit. The third stage is that you become skilled and you're aware that you're having to really think hard to to do that. And the fourth and final stage that you want to get to is that you are skilled, but you're unaware that you're doing it now. It's just become you. It's what you do. You've just learnt it. And if we go through that, so I mean, when I was, I went to some swimming lessons a couple of years ago, all right, to try and improve my swimming. And when I went into that class, I thought that I could swim okay. And then I discovered that I was only breathing one way, and that wasn't. There was that you're supposed to breathe bilaterally, apparently. Uh, and uh, and so I, I was told, and this Attila the Hun of a teacher forced me painfully to go through this stage where I became aware that I was unskilled and where I had to force myself to breathe three strokes left then right and so on and uh, train myself to actually breathe both ways. and it was a painful process and it took weeks and weeks a whole term until eventually by the end now I can get in a swimming pool and I'm not thinking about it it's just me it's what I can do because I've gone through that process. And when we're training our children, you know, we need to take them through that process. And it's a lifelong learning journey for them to get through to that point where it's just them. It's just, we don't have to tell them anymore. It's just what they do. They go away, they leave home, and it's them. And so training requires a lot of things. I'd like to give you three headings for our training. The first is this, training requires authenticity. That's the first point. It requires authenticity. The second is, it requires intentionality. And the third thing is, it requires audacity, or courage, if you like. Okay? Authenticity, intentionality, and audacity. And I'd like to just get practical as we think about some of those three, uh, those three headings. The first, then, is that training requires authenticity. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Make music in your heart to the Lord. 
always giving thanks. And then Paul starts to give instructions about life in the home, about fathers, about husbands, you know, about husbands sacrificially loving and leading in the home, wives gladly following and being part of that, and there's mutual honor and there's respect and there's love in the home, and it's a place that is... uh, But actually, those instructions come in the context of the spirit-filled life. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts for us as parents. There's no one way to do it. You need to be a spirit-filled person week in and week out so that you're following God and, and you're leading the way through a, a spirit-filled life. And so we need to be a spirit-filled people and our homes need to be places where we're alive with the presence of God. That study that I shared with you a little bit earlier on, Passing on Faith, says this. The role and faith commitment of both parents and the integrity, consistency, and unity of parents' beliefs, practices, and relationships are all shown to be key influences on whether believing children become believing adults. Goes on to say, relational warmth and stability was experienced and where faith was practiced and nurtured with dedication and integrity. In other words, it's got to be real for us. It's got to be lived out in the home. The home is the place where our children should learn the story of God's redemption, but also see the story lived out in our lives, in our relationships, in our character, in our priorities and ambitions. And it's about having the right vibe, the right ethos, that unspoken vibe in our home. So that it's not just that we have Bible verses posted up on the walls, although that could be a great idea, but if we've got Bible verses and then we're living selfish lives and we're having loads of arguments and it's all stressful at home all of the time and we're being self-centered rather than sacrificial, our kids are going to see through that. You know, kids see through fake, don't they? They, get, they? they can see whether it's real or not. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. That faith was sincere in the home, and now it's been passed on to Timothy. Kids will pick up on our hearts. They're not fools. They see through fake. We need to be walking with God. We need to have stories and testimonies of how God's provided for us. Uh, You know, I know for us, we've often done that. You know, we might be in a restaurant or something, and we'll say, guys, you know what? God just provided this blessing for us, and that's why we're having this meal, because just God provided for us. It was amazing. We, um, I remember uh, we had an occasion a few, uh, last year, actually, where my son was due to go out to South Africa for three months to uh, be there at a school in South Africa through a contact that we had there and he was going to go out there and he was going to do some cricket and he was going to learn and be part of this amazing school out there for three months. And we were very nervous about the whole thing. Was it the right thing for him to go? And we came to a place of faith that we thought, yeah, this would be excellent if he were to go. Uh, And uh, so we got to the airport 
And in that January, and uh, we, we arrived with all our paperwork, with our passports, with everything for him, all the paperwork we needed. And the clerk at the BA desk said, no, you haven't got all the paperwork you need. He can't travel as a minor uh, on his own. Uh, and, and we said, no, 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 really, have a look at the detail, look at the small print. And she was just, no, she wouldn't believe it. She wouldn't. And, and we, we stood there for about an hour. We were phoning solicitors. With a, the flight was getting closer and closer. My, uh, my son and I were both praying like mad. And he says he was just praying. Uh, and meantime, my wife was staying cool as a cucumber and dealing with this. And she was brilliant because she held her nerve. And eventually, the senior guy came through and said, no, actually, it's all in order. You've got it all. Yes, he can go. And suddenly, we saw our son go through uh, the gates and get onto that plane. And we saw him fly. Uh, and it was just an amazing testimony, which he will still talk about. You know, God was with me in that moment. And I saw God at work in my life. Uh, and that's what we want, don't we? We want it to be a living thing. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, You, Timothy, know all about my teaching and my way of life. How God rescued me from all the persecution and trouble I had. You've seen it lived out in me. Now, Timothy, you run that same race. So I'd say to you today, and we know this, don't we, the first thing that you can do to be a great parent, a great youth leader, a great influence on your children is to have a great relationship with God for yourself, living in his grace, knowing his love. The second thing that you can do if your partner is involved right now in the family life is to maintain a great marriage. You owe it to your children to do that, not only for your own sake, but also for theirs. But I will say, of course, and we know this, don't we, that God can redeem situations that are painful. And sometimes, you, you know, you are on your own and actually... God can more than make up for that. And we've got, I'm sure we've all got incredible testimonies of how that has happened. But we want to work on our marriages. And the third thing that we can do is that we can model faith and expectation to our children, especially in their attitudes towards church. You know, if we're kind of moaning about church our kids will pick up on that. If we're reluctant, our kids will pick up on that. They'll see our faith and they will follow it or not. I'd suggest to you as parents, you know, um, I mean, this is what we did. As our kids were growing up, we're like, right, we're go we're, church is what we do on Sunday. Pretty well, without exception, that's just what we do, okay? And we're going to try and get there on good time because you don't want to just rush in at the last minute. Kids get up really early anyway, so you know, just go with it and get there in good time. Give, convey that sense that you know, we're looking forward to meeting with God. Even when you're tired and stressful, you've made a good decision. We're going to church because we're going to meet with God today. Why don't you sit near the front so that the kids can see the instruments and engage with the music and so on? Think about the practicalities. You know, don't get out the toy bag too early, if at all. 
I mean, I remember a time when, you know, we did this. Someone got out a bag, and suddenly all the kids from about five minutes into the meeting were like bees around a honeypot, around this bag of soft toys and, and drawings and things, and, and totally disengaged over in the back corner of the meeting. Don't try to, no, stand. I remember as our kids, you know, we'd have, we'd have him standing there, we'd stand him on the chair, we'd kind of try and sing along, we'd do a bit of dancing, get involved, let them see me worshipping God, let them see the, uh, me getting engaged, but also engage with them. After the meeting, you know, talk about, uh, talk about it over lunch. What did God say to you today? What did we learn? How was the meeting? Um, Kate, do you want to just tell us? Because, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard work, though, isn't it? It's not always easy, let's be honest. Tell us how, <laughs> what it's been like. Yeah, so you, you want to set the bar high, but some days just don't work out like that. <laughs> and uh, we had plenty of times when it was really quite hard work. I think especially if your husband or wife or whatever is, is involved heavily in the meeting and kids work in preaching and leading worship in whatever, you then have a, a much greater role as well. Um, so doing it all by yourself. But um, Andy wanted me to share the incident of the shoe <laughs> with you, which... Um <laughs> Um, our middle son, Zach, I spoke to him this week. I said, look, Zach, we're doing this seminar um, and it's quite hard to talk about parenting without examples. Um, do you mind if I share the incident of the shoe? And he sa I said, do you remember it? He was like, no. Um, I said, oh. And he said, um, you can tell it, but I just don't want to know. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll take that, I'll share it. So um, he was about two um, and I think Andy was, uh, he must have been leading worship or something that morning because he wasn't with us um, at that moment but so we were worshipping you know they're running around dancing playing but our church floor is a suspended floor and is quite um, noisy if they're running around on it and he had their clumpy Clark shoes and running around so I thought oh you know what let's take the shoes off so um, I took Jamie our eldest shoes off all fine and Zach Zach could just take exception to things sometimes um, you're saying we're going to do this but I really don't want to do this. So he just lost it because <laughs> I took the shoes off and suddenly I'm there with um, literally screaming, screaming child about, you'd think I'd taken his best toy and thrown it in the bin or something, but he just totally lost it and um, he's just screaming. So, so then of course he's too noisy so I take him out, somebody else is looking after Jamie. Uh, I'm out in the entrance hall um, trying to calm him down, he won't calm down, scream, scream, scream. In the end I put him in the buggy, we went for a walk, off down, you know, and people are sort of looking, oh there's the pastor's wife, <laughs> there's the pastor's boy. <laughs> and um, you know, I'm just, you know, and it's often the mornings when you are least ready for that, you're least in a place to deal with it. And um, I got back, literally 45 minutes of just screaming with, with no, you could, there's nothing I could do to, to placate him and got back to the, <laughs> to, it was now coffee time and, um, you know, one of the guys said, oh, is he ill? I said, no, he's just cross. <laughs> and, you know, you know it, it, he, he was always um, been a much feistier character than my, my eldest and I've had to learn ways to to work that out with him and and challenge his he he doesn't he hasn't always found it easy to take authority and um so having to work through that and find ways but yeah there are mornings when you've gone to church and you just think <laughs> should i have bothered <laughs> 
But actually, talking to our young people group last week, we said, um, we said to them, uh, what, what advice would you give to parents when we do this, this course? And one of the things they came up with, just off the cuff, is they said, take us to church every week. <laughs> that was one of the things they said, this group of bunch of teenagers. And, you know, if nothing else, we were at church that morning. We were doing what Andy said, just consistently being there. And, you know, it's, I can laugh about it now. <laughs> um, but, you know, that morning was tough. And there are many mornings that are tough for various reasons. And I think often if you're, in, if you're serving the church, if your husband is serving the church, you, you are actually vulnerable as well. Because you know what? Satan loves to get in there and mess up um, sort of how you feel. And I think going back to what Andy said about... Um, being filled with the spirit, sometimes you, you, you're just so dry as a mum. You've given and given all week. And I've, I, I think my biggest mistake through sort of bringing up children was to try and do it all on my own and try and do it in my strength. And I can do this. I'm the pastor's wife. I can do this. And actually, there are times when I've got nothing left. And I just say to God now, I've got nothing left. <laughs> Help. <laughs> and actually, God has been incredible in those moments and just come and given me or just change the situation suddenly and actually just do that. Just say, God, I can't do this. God, I need your help right now, and he will help you. Very <laughs> good. Thank you very much, Kate. It's wonderful. <coughs> so authenticity is the first point. The second thing is intentionality. Intentionality, yeah? And that, that means I'm going to get... Janice and uh, uh, um, Haley to come and share in a second. But just a couple of stories from us, you know, we obviously the bedtime stories, listening to songs in the car, trying to familiar, familiarise our children with songs so that when they come to church, they, they get into what we're singing. Um, that's really helpful. Uh, you know, we got to a point where we were able to have breakfast together as a family and we'd read through Bible books, so I remember we even did some tricky ones, like they wanted to look at Ecclesiastes, so every morning we'd be kind of reading Ecclesiastic, everything is meaningless, right goes, go out and, you know, go and, go and have a great day today, everything's meaningless by the way, uh, but you know, we did it, we just read through and it became a bit of a joke for us, uh, and um, I think we did some, we did Revelation and stuff, but mainly we did more easy things, trust me. Um, and uh, then, then there was a time, time got a bit shorter with rushing out for school, so we just do like a proverb of the day over breakfast, so everyone would just pick a proverb randomly, read it out, and then we'd have a vote, which of these is the proverb of the day? And if there was a draw in the family, you know, uh, uh, in the voting, because you couldn't vote for your own proverb, uh, then uh, what we would do is we'd kind of spin a, a, spin a uh, glass on the table, whichever one it pointed to was that, that is the proverb of the day, folks, off you go. You know, don't be lazy like the ant, uh, you sluggard or whatever, you know, uh, that's the proverb of the day today. Uh, and so we did, you know, trying to be creative, trying to be imaginative, trying to come up with just fun ways of doing things and seasons change and you have to just adjust and be agile as a parent. Let's have a few tips and, and ideas. Janice, would you like to come and share with us, please? Go for it. This is Janice, everybody. Uh, Thank you. Hello. Um, at the Vine Church, we have lots of amazing, incredible children. Um, and I'm sure that's true for your church too. And your children's workers would say, um, every week, they might not say it to you, but maybe you should ask them. Every week, the children, at least a child or two, will say something totally incredible 
or amazing or insightful or deep that makes them go, <gasps> ooh. Um, and you know, you are not just the parents of the children of the future. You're actually the parents of the children of today. And we don't want to think that we're just preparing them for when we're too old to do it all. At the Vine Church, we make a lot of effort to, we work hard really to create an environment where the children feel as much a part of what we do on a Sunday as they possibly can. So as children's workers, we'll have some time with them before the meeting even starts, asking them, what, what has God said anything to you this week? Have you read anything? What's, what's God done? What's God like? What could we thank God for? And actually, that is very significant. So these children are contributing and bringing things, and that's what you can expect your children to do. So I pray for our children in the Vine Church, big prayers, big prayers that, for things that you wouldn't expect children to do, because that's what I'm like, and um, that they will be part of the church today, on that very Sunday morning, I want them to be, I want to be hearing from them, I want to hear what they've got to say, what God shared with them for me. Now I have four children, one's actually here, goodness gracious, um, they uh, obviously are now quite old, so the oldest is 20 and the youngest is 14. And for the astute among you, you'll realize there's only six years between them all. In fact, there's just under six years. And so I know that life is very busy when you have children. There are friends to have over after school. There are lots of phonic blends to learn. There are four children to listen to, to read. There are Tudor costumes to be found. There are Anderson shelters to be built into shoeboxes. Um, it's very exhausting. But one thing I learnt in the first year that Daniel, my oldest, was at school, is that other people will make sure that your child can read. But if you don't tell your children about Jesus, nobody else is going to. Um, I've got some verses, ordinarily, I get a bit of audience participation, um, but I haven't got them printed out, so I'll read them to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You've all heard that before. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. This is in the Bible. Uh, and when you walk along the road. And when you lie down. And when you get up. And there's another one. Do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So grandparents, your job is not over yet. Now if you are teaching your children about God at home and living out your faith, as Andy's spoken about, in God there, and talking about it when you're sitting at home and when you're walking along and when you're lying down, then actually for your children, when they come to church on Sunday, um, they will be able to engage a lot better. If you don't, then engaging in worship will be very much more difficult for them. And in fact, living life in the world we have today will be very much more difficult for them. I've got five things 
that I have done with my children over the years, didn't do them all at once because that would have just been too exhausting. I've chosen the ones that were most memorable, most long-lasting, and most successful, and also the one that they suggested that I'd forgotten about. Um, so I will do them very quickly. Now, let me, this is why I need a bag. These are all, obviously, from some time ago, but I should imagine that things will exist today that are very similar. This is what we call the big Bible book. And inside, there are pictures that are supposed to be colored, presumably, with prayer. I'll try and open it. Now, my son, Daniel, when he was two, well, actually, no, he walked when he was 10 months old. He was already walking. He was not a sitting down sort of child. And when he was two, I thought, oh, I should really do something with him that's a bit more, you know, I can really talk about story and get to grips with it. But no, he is not a sitting down child. He does not color, but he likes ripping things up. He likes going out along the canal and collecting bits of straw and sticks. So when you have a resource, of which I'm sure there are many in the bookshops, do not feel that you have to do it in the way that it seems that it has to be done. You need to adapt it to your child. So we would rip up, we would stick, we would collect grass, stones, whatever we could find to make this the right thing for him. Not that that was the only thing for him. I probably could have found something else and adapted that to him. But this worked for us. So this was what we would do from, from when Daniel was two and his brother was asleep because he'd just been born. So that worked for a while. And every day we would do the big Bible book and he would hear a story. Um, so another thing we did was singing after tea. That's what it was called. We would have our tea and then there's a gap before having a bath and going to bed. And we would just go straight from the dining table to the living room where I would put on a CD. And I would have previously chosen some songs. I was open to requests. But then we would sing maybe three songs. And there would be praise for action, dancing. But in between, there would be prayers. I think, think of something you're really glad that God has done. Something you're really thankful for. And they would pray. Now, when they were smaller, I would have also a little photo album in the days when photos existed in photo albums. And they might pray for somebody they knew, a relative or something, or, or a charity that we supported. And we'd also have this book, which was great fun. What shall we pray about? Now that's got great double big pages of ideas. Our favorite page was the church. So it's got lots of pictures of people doing different things in the church. You, if you're gonna be intentional, need to look for things that suit your family. So singing, after tea was not really just singing after tea. It was our children thinking of things to pray for, listening to God. And that was the first time. So when we started that, hmm, Hannah was a baby and Daniel would have been six. That was the time when I first heard him say, I think God's given me a picture. And he shared a picture. And we went, oh, a, a good, sound picture. So these are chances that you can take to get your children to listen to God and share with you what God wants to say to you. Oh, turn that page, come back to that one. Sorry, I'll be able to. Um, Bible notes, you've all seen children's Bible notes. Here's some, I'll wave them very quickly at you. Oh. Oh. That's a good one for if they're a bit older. 
join in, jump on. Don't know if that still exists, but it's very good. You might be able to get it on eBay. Um, I know Haley's got a Tops. XTB is also one that we found to be very good. The other thing, um, I did Bible notes with my children when they went to bed, but it's four children, it's quite a lot of children to get around. Um, so after when they got to a certain age, I let them do it on their own. Who knows if they did it much? But I think they did it sometimes. But we were already doing other things as a family. So that wasn't quite as important, but I wanted to give them the opportunity to be independent in that way. Um, on that note, when they ask me specific questions like, um, what if I wanted to become a Christian? I would actually do something very specific with them. So there are various, oh no. Welcome to God's family, that one's called. So when my daughter asked me that question, I said, oh, I think I've got a book that might, we might be able to go through together. There are children's books about how to become a Christian, children's books about being baptized. What I didn't want, and I spent a lot of time trying to avoid, I didn't want my children to think that they were, gonna, they were Christians because I was a Christian. But actually, I spent a lot of time telling them you know, if you want to be a Christian, you have to make a decision for yourself and it will completely change your life. And it's not something you just do just like that. You really need to think about it if this is what you really want to do. So, um, Bible notes are very useful. Possibly the most significant thing that we did with our children was something called Table Talk. This is available in shops today. There are 12 of these. We did this every morning for years and years and years. Actually, I think there's 13. It takes five minutes. We did it at breakfast to start with, and then they stopped coming down for breakfast when they just got too old. And so we did it at tea. Hannah was two when we started, and Daniel was eight. This is responsible for most of their Bible knowledge that they didn't get from church. This changed their lives, I'd say, and it was a regular habit-forming thing that was very significant. The thing that they asked me to mention that I'd kind of forgotten about was something we just did in the holidays called prayer pods, where um, they, we have various places around our house. So someone would say, I'm going to the shed, I'm going to the playroom, I'm going to the garden. And they would go off with a little book, sit down and pray and listen to God, draw pictures, come back, share what they'd done. This, they're the ones who mentioned it. They said it was very significant. And it was very good to see that they were listening to God. I would say there's a lot more I could have done. There's probably more I could still do. But actually, what's really important is to do something. To make sure you do it consistently. And to make sure it's fun. And if you do, then they will come on a Sunday morning. And they will have a well from which to draw to contribute, to be part of the church of today. And my final comment would be, if your child is praying out loud on a Sunday at church, then are you? And if they're not, maybe you should, and maybe they will. Very good. Yes, Janice, very good. Wow, awesome. Hayley, come, come, please. I'd like Haley to give us, I asked Haley five top tips, and uh, she's come up with five Ps for us, which she's going to brilliantly praise for us in five minutes. Yeah, less than, less minus than. five minutes. It. Um, great. The thing is, they've all said them all, 
So I don't really no, need to do this, but I'm going to say them anyway because I came up with them independently. And as a parent, I've walked the walk. I've got four sons who are grown up now. Um, I'm a, I'm a first-generation Christian. I didn't have a heritage to draw upon. Um, but like you, I went to seminars and I read books and I just drew from all the resources I could draw from them. And, from, and find older people in the church who've done it before you. I've got two significant ladies who I kind of sat at their feet and watched them and learnt from them. And I would really encourage you to do that. But my five top tips were independent. first one was passionately, five Ps, passionately pursue Jesus. He said all about that. Because it spills out, okay? Second P was point out the presence of Jesus in the ordinary. Now, for me, this is really important because I wasn't so formal about anything. I didn't have that heritage to draw on, so I was just trying to work out how to bring Jesus into the everyday. So just like Becca mentioned at the beginning, I would quite often say, boys, 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 get to the conservatory quickly. Look what God's painted in the sky for us this evening. <gasps> Look at that beautiful sunset. And the other day, my nearly 20-year-old son went, Mom, he was upstairs, look out the back window. He said, God's painted something in the sky for us tonight. And I just think, well, you know, it's a simple thing, but just pointing at the moon, the stars, like you mentioned, the ants, and um, just simple things every day. God's in the everyday. That's so important for me. Um, sometimes I would, um, you know, like brushing hair or something, you'd say, do you, know what the, do you know that God knows how many hairs are on your head? Or something might happen and you'd say, do you know what the Bible says about that? Um, and again, that takes your authentic walk with Jesus to be able to bring those things into it. As they've been older, expressing biblical worldviews. Quite often my husband does this, watching a film with them. I'm not a great film. But he will be talking about a parallel with the gospel or um, bringing a, a biblical worldview that might come up. And that's so important to make those connections. When they were younger, in school days, they'd come home with problems and troubles. And we would be talking from a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. What does Jesus want us to do here? Why don't we pray about that? So it's just in the ordinary. It's so important to me. Emphasizing God's grace, his love, his forgiveness. We sing songs about forgiving each other. You know, kids don't like forgiving each other. And by the way, when I try to do prayers to say sorry to God, my kids have never done anything wrong. Done about yours. I'd say, what do we see? Say, teaspoon prayers. Thank you, sorry, please. They could do the thank you and the please. But when I said, what about sorry? Like, nah, don't need to say sorry. Anyway, so emphasizing forgiveness is good. Third P, prioritize, which again, you've said, invest that time. It is a privilege. It is exhausting, but it is a privilege. And in many ways, it's a sacrifice. Um, especially at church, I had a lady, just a quick story, a lady who came to Sean and I and said, I'm really struggling. I come to church on my own with the kids and I'm just not getting to worship because my kids just need me all the time. Can we just get them out earlier? And so I expressed our heart as a church for our children to learn to worship Jesus and, and just expressed to her that actually in the younger years of my children at church, you just kind of give it up yourself. You're not relying on that Sunday morning for your worship because you're there to train your children up in it. So there's a sense of sacrifice and giving up. It's not easy. And I did go home in tears a few times, like Kate. Um, but it is a sacrifice worth giving. It's exhausting. But, um, but just let me say, you won't regret it. You won't regret taking time to pray with them, to read the Bible with them, and to help them with those things. It's a, it's a worthwhile investment. Um, at bedtime, we did do our Bible notes at bedtime, Janice, which was a bit crazy. Um, 
And then you are just finishing and trying to get to the next one. And then they go, Mom, who made God? Or where's heaven? And you're like, oh, golly. And they come up with the big questions. But if you possibly can, take the time to stop and hear their question at least. Say, that is a brilliant question. And if you can't do it there and then, please take the time to talk to them and answer their questions and let them express doubts, let let them ask questions. There was one, um, once I remember it so vividly because he was on a bunk bed and I'd done all the tops notes and said goodnight, kissed him, walked out the door and he went, popped up on the dog bunk bed. Hang on a minute, mum. That just said that God is fully man. No, Jesus is fully man and fully God. Mum, that's not possible. He went, I've done fractions. You can't have fully God. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. And we went into the mysteries and it was a late night. But it's worth it. It really is. Third P. No, how many P's have I done? Passionately pursue. Point out in every day. Prioritize. Fourth one was personalize and playful. Janice really touched on this. Our kids are not the same. And I just want to encourage you. This is not a formulaic thing. God is not a formulaic God. He's a personal God, okay, and he knows your children personally, and you know them the best to help them find ways to teach them about Jesus. So think about your child, what makes them tick, what do they enjoy, have fun together, um, adapt to their ages and stages and interests, but whatever you do, don't give up. I mean, I, like Janice, didn't have, all of mine didn't want to sit down and read something, in fact, little and like Becca said about walking in the woods and noticing things in the woods and all that kind of thing Um, and then the last one which is kind of a bit of an obvious thing in a Christian seminar but it's to pray for them Um, and for Sean and I again being a first generation Christian and, and really having a strong sense that I just don't know what I'm doing God please help me and praying for myself and for my husband that we would have wisdom and grace for them, but praying for our children. And we have done that as much as we can and as many times as we can, not just for their own encounter with Jesus, but for them to grow and go on. And so I just I, you know, implore you, pray for your children. Um, it, God is so kind and he hears those prayers and he wants to reveal himself to them. I think that's all, except that I don't seem to have managed to mention Ishmael which are various things uh, along the way we have yeah somebody's waving at me there we have um learnt bible verses through when they're little i can see some little people in here and ishmael um is brilliant for that for teaching truth and for teaching bible verses and singing them out and i would really encourage you to play ishmael yeah yeah ishmael and prayer that's my two main tips <laughs> ishmael and prayer thank you very much Haley. That's absolutely awesome. Well done. Thank you very much. I'm aware that we need to, the, uh, I will just say that the parents uh, are, are going to finish at 20 past today. So let me just finish by saying to you that what we do need ultimately also is audacity, courage as parents to challenge and believe for our children and, uh, and as youth leaders as well. Um, you know, I recently, my son, he's involved in cricket. It's a drinking culture. I, I, I took the bull by the horns one day when we were out on a road trip together, and I just said, you know, look, I just want to talk to you about drink because, you know, it's nice to have a drink socially with people, but actually, 
you know what, the more you drink, the more you need to get the same effect. And, you know, you just want to be careful. We talked about it all. And that took courage. I had to take that issue to him and raise it with him. Sometimes you need courage because actually our children are uh, born as original sinners, you know, and they need confrontation and they need challenge. Uh, and sometimes you don't have to be their friend. Sometimes you have to be the bad guy who's willing to bring the challenge to them as well. And I'd, over the summer, I've enjoyed reading um, uh, Mo Farah's uh, biography, and it's been brilliant to read how this guy, nine-year-old, arrived from Somaliland in the UK and landed on a school playground, a comprehensive school playground, and a PE teacher, Alan Watkinson, took him under his wing and uh, started getting him running and believed in him and even though uh, Mo Farrow was much more interested in football, uh, he got him into a running club and he drove him around the countryside and he took him to cross-country events and he believed in this lad. His parents weren't involved, but this humble PE teacher took on Mo and got him visas when he started to have to travel around the world. And then in 2012, he's there. Alan, the PE teacher, is there in the Olympic Stadium in London, and he's watching Mo get his 10,000-meter gold medal, and then he's watching him get his 5,000-meter gold medal, and Alan is in the stands in tears as he sees his lad come through and get gold medal. And you know what? Whoever you are, whatever part you have to play, I want to call you today to fresh faith that your children are not just going to, you know, survive, but they're going to thrive. They're going to be part of a generation that is going to change the world. They're going to be part of a generation that is going to usher in revival and speed the return of Christ by going to the ends of the world with the gospel. That's what we want to believe for, isn't it? Not just that they survive as Christians. Phew, he's still a Christian. No, we want them to become world changers, don't we? We want to have faith to believe that we can see them fulfill their potential and play their part in finishing the work that God has called them to do in this generation. And so I'd like to pray for us right now. And Becca's going to come and play her song. If you'd like to hang around and get prayed for, if you want to come back later and get prayed for, you'd be very welcome. But could we just stand, please? Let's just reach out to God. Lord, I just want to thank you for the privilege that you've given each one of us. And uh, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come and fill each person. Come and fill them with faith. I pray lift off any condemnation, any discouragement. Lord, we pray right now in Jesus' name that we would find fresh energy, fresh faith for our children, for our teenagers, for that one that's having a difficult time right now, for the next generation that we're serving at church. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to put a new compassion in our hearts for our kids and for those young people that are around us that we can influence. Come Holy Spirit. 
just ask you, Lord, that you would lift off any sense of failure, any sense of condemnation. Thank you that you've uniquely called us to be that man, that woman, to use our gifts to bring through the gifts of those that we love and serve. So we ask you for this in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just say, if you do need to, to go, then obviously feel free. But we're going to just hear a song. And, and if you'd like to hang around, if you'd like to get some prayer, if you'd like to talk to us, then please just come and uh, do that. And thank you very much for being with us uh, this morning. Out of sorrow into joy 
till I meet you face to face. Lifted by your strength alone, we can stand before your throne. Now I know that you delight in us. You delight in us. I'll never find a distance you can't run to get to me. you 